Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have another special guest, Erica, who is a intuitive and somatic coach that specializes in clearing trauma from the nervous system, just having a general feeling of goodness in the body and feeling ease, playing bigger authentically and navigating burnout and deeper dreams. Hi, Erica. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? So nice to be here. I'm great. It's so lovely to be here with you. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. I know there's there's kind of a audience, I guess, that really wants to guest and get the word out and normalize the conversations, talk about how all of these things affect everybody. So I know that's you and I really do appreciate that because obviously the conversation needs to be had a lot more than it already is. So mm-hmm. you're, it sounds like you're doing that day in and day out, so... I really, mm-hmm. I really admire that about you as well. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's such good work. But tough work at times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that is like a perspective, right? It's already tough when we're living with these things. And so then when we just be with it in a little bit different way, it tends to start to shift. So, um, yeah, so it's like you know, for me as a coach and someone who's lived through it and now gets to like be on the other side, it is um, a really beautiful experience to be with people in this way. So can you tell us about what it means to be an intuitive and somatic coach? Yeah, so um, it means, so the intuitive part is that I'm like very attuned deeply attuned with whoever I'm with, right? Like I'm an empath and a creative and I can just really have a deep sense in to where someone is. And I really let my uh, intuition um, lead, not fully lead. I've also been trained in modalities, but I really let it um, uh, have its like have its expression when I'm working with someone and then the somatic part is really bringing in the body right staying out of um, like fully in the cognitive space which I do go there a little bit too and staying fully out of uh, not like not completely in the energetic space which I also do a little bit of too with the intuitive part but really deeply grounding the experience in what's happening in the body because as a um as a culture, we tend to forget our bodies, right? We tend to get really in our heads. And so it's really bringing in the body. And this is where so much of the experience of trauma is stored. And so when we bring that in, we get this whole new layer of transformation that can happen. You mentioned you are trained in other modalities. What are those other ones? That is um, my main one right now is somatic experiencing, which is the work of Dr. Peter Levine that works with um, updating the nervous system, sort of like a kind of an easy metaphor is that it works with the operating system of the autonomic nervous system and helps to close programs that are running from the past that don't need to be running anymore. So it's really deeply working with the physiology to get it into present time. That sounds stuff. I was gonna say it sounds phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Can we take a couple steps back and talk about how trauma, I guess, lingers or stays in the body and kind of the different manifestations that it might have? Yeah, sure. So, What happens when we experience any kind of trauma from like, you know, the the really big T traumas to even smaller traumas, like like my daughter fell off a swing or yesterday or um, falling off a bike or a medical procedure or uh, someone kind of overpowering us in with language. If we if we don't get to um, express or complete our full threat cycle right we are we are primal beings and we have a primal response to uh any kind of you know quote unquote traumatic situation any any situation where we feel threatened if we don't get to complete that um, which is a uniquely human experience animals in the wild always complete their threat response cycles um 
And if we don't get to complete ours, it like is, um, it gets frozen in our system wherever it didn't complete. So it's like an imprint. There, there's an actual cycle that has a, um, you know, a few different stages that are supposed to happen. And so wherever it gets like truncated, it is that blueprint is frozen in our body. And so that is, you know, the, it's like the um, categories we hear about all the time, right? The fight, flight, freeze, or fawn that there's a pattern that we might be always like argumentative or easily triggered, or we might always want to like skip town and travel to a new city and, uh, you know, like always on the move, get a new job, right? Always kind of in flight, or we might be always like in heavy procrastination, watching Netflix, not able to to speak our truth or to take action the way we want or people pleasing and this is like really um like quite simplified way to talk about it just so that we can talk about it there's so much like nuance and complexity in there but just generally like we can kind of get stuck in these patterns or we do get stuck in these patterns when we haven't been able to to complete the cycle in a in a threatening situation what are some reasons why we don't complete the threat cycle or the yeah <clears throat> excuse me it's a great question so one is simply we might be too overpowered right the situation is too there's it's too threatening we're being physically um or like verbally or some way we're too overpowered and we literally cannot um a second reason might be that our social um consciousness like that we're too embarrassed to like we we hold it back in terms of like if there's a fall if we fall off a bike excuse me we don't lay on the ground for a few minutes and let our body shake and orient to the ground and kind of like let ourselves go through all the things we might need to do from the from the experience of the fall and the impact we jump up right away and say like oh i'm fine or you know we might start to cry a little bit but we we uh like sort of go through you know we don't want people to look at us in funny ways right same with car accidents we don't sit in the car if we're still well enough to sit in the car we don't sit there and shake necessarily or go through all the the, the responses we like start calling 911 or jump out or you know we we move on we don't let ourselves finish the primal response and that's that's kind of because we're taught that in society right or part of the reason maybe I think it's definitely part of the reason yeah we don't slow down enough and we you know for animals just know to do this you know like my um my cat had a little thing a few months ago and and after her this little thing happened to her she just sat and trembled in the driveway you know for like three minutes and trembled and trembled and I just watched her and then like she ran off and she was fine and and she went about her business and we i because we have this human way about us right we're not we won't we won't stay there we'll we'll move on to the next thing and we haven't been taught so yes it, yeah it's kind of a complicated question actually isn't it 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 kind of goes back to the hustle culture i feel like where we're just taught you know exactly what you said don't slow down. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to feel this. You don't have time to process this. Just keep going, yeah. keep going. Right. 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 Yeah. And it happens very young. I mean, we like when children fall, we say you're fine right away. Right. We don't give them a moment and that's our nervous systems. You know, if I can share a really interesting story um, for my daughter, she fell off the swing two days ago and I've been trained in this work. And nonetheless, as soon as she fell, I was pushing her. As soon as she fell, it was so shocking for me that I immediately grabbed her and pulled her up, you know, and that's my nervous system because our nervous system responds instantaneously. Like we can't, it's before we can, it's a, um, 
autonomic reaction. We don't have consciousness around it. So I reached her for her and pulled her up and said, are you okay? Because it scared me. So I went into a, you know, a big sympathetic response. And so she got to, she missed out on some, you know, trembling and, you know, so whatever she would, her body would have needed to do. And I've been trained in this, but it happened so fast on the, on the side of the people around does, you know, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. these, these reactions are so instantaneous, so fast, so outside of our consciousness. Well, and it, it doesn't help that society tells us to kind of react quickly and just move on. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Can we take a yeah. couple steps back? You had mentioned, I think, freeze. What was it? The fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? What is the yes. fawn? I've never heard of fawn before. Oh, wow. So fawn is um, people-pleasing. Oh. Of, yeah, fawn is um, is the adaptive response when we are uh, under threat and we we appease, we, we do what the other person wants to keep the peace. What's an example of that? Um, I know I kind of put you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying to think of one. So what I'm thinking of first, I'll say this one first. So on one level, it, it's a very normal thing, right? Like friends deciding where they're going to go to dinner right? Different people might want to go to different places and someone has to give, right? For if everyone wants to go to have dinner together, someone has to, you know, you know, people want three different varieties of food. Two people are going to have to appease Mm -hmm. to um, make, to get everyone to dinner. So there's aspects of it that are normal um, and that, are part of our social engagement and being together, but then it can get way out of whack where people stay in like jobs, people staying in abusive relationships, people staying in jobs that they hate, people saying yes when they mean no, because they feel um, like to preserve the relationship, that they are in threat of losing the relationship if they don't say yes. So as simple as like back in the day when I still was living in a lot of trauma cycles, I would sit with a friend outside a coffee shop and talk for like hours sometimes Sunday morning. And I really wanted to go home. I was like done, but I didn't have the capacity to say like, Hey, let's like move on to the next thing. And so I stayed and listened and that's fun and appease when my truth was I was ready to move on to the next thing, but I didn't have capacity to say it. So it can happen in really big and little ways, like the abusive relationship or just the dynamics that feel uncomfortable. Is this a relatively new response or am I just really behind the times? (laughs) Um, you know, I think it's just like a different way to talk about it. Right. Like I think, um, Like, um, you know, I think like codependent patterns are the same thing, which you, um, you know, I'm sure that you know about codependent patterns, right? So this is like, that's there's the same um, like energy of appeasement and fawning in there when we're participating in an out of balance dynamic. Does that make sense? It does. I'm just kind of mind blown that I haven't heard of fun before. Oh, how interesting. So it's really specific to nervous system. It's nervous system language. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And so it's, um, and it is, and all of these responses are like adaptive responses that we have used to survive any kind of situation. So um, if you're in like a, you know, like an abusive relationship or an abusive like if you had a childhood those are skills you're going to learn how to appease right Mm -hmm. to not make your parent yell for example Hmm. and going back a couple steps even further you were talking about the small t's and big t's of trauma Mm -hmm. I hear those 
what is it like description, I guess, of trauma as being big or small. Is there any, any kind of format or examples of any of these that are laid out that are across the board considered a big T for anybody or across the board considered a small T for anybody? Like I know trauma is different for everybody, but is there one thing that if somebody experienced it across the board would just be considered a big T regardless? Or is it very individualized on kind of all the responses? I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think when we're in mortal threat or mortal danger, um, it would be very, very likely the person would have trauma from it. But I think that when we talk about it and what my teacher says, that it's really unique on the individual nervous system of the person. And it depends if the person's um, nervous system keeps moving forward and if they don't get stuck. So, and that's really depends on the person. So I think if the, like the really, like the big tease when someone's under mortal threat, I think it's probably pretty damn hard to come out of that without mm-hmm. trauma. Um, but there are like, it's just, but it's, it's very, it's like, I think what, you know, to hold the nuance is like to really like, let it be an individual experience because people experience things really, really differently. And it depends how they're like, how they keep moving forward in time in, in the moment, not in their day to day, but in that very moment where it was happening, did they feel agency? Was there any agency that was happening within them? And maybe they don't move forward too, right? Some, some just when they're big T or small T, sometimes they're just stuck and there isn't movement forward. Absolutely. And that's when the system, that's when the system gets sort of frozen in time and trauma occurs. And I know you kind of already alluded to this, but is there any system differences within us for nervous systems or any others that there is a difference thematically or in our bodies for small T versus or is that very individualized again? Well, it would be the same. It's the same. Our nervous system is always scanning for threat, always scanning for safety. And so, um, it's the same system. It's that different people will have in unique and individual responses to the same or similar event. So, so there's like examples, for example, in, um, like mass shootings, if it's okay that I bring that up for sure, that, um, that there are individuals in these kind of um, like mass shooting situations or in like semi like hostage situations or like it's usually a small number um, don't experience trauma because they're able to keep moving forward and somehow they feel agency and maybe they're able to like do something, you know, maybe they like, I don't know, get a key for the door or whatever it is. They're able to keep, um, their system moving a little bit. And so they end up experiencing it differently than everybody else in the room. And they don't leave the situation with the density of trauma. That's so fascinating how we're technically built the same, like physically, but then physiologically and mentally, everything has the ability to be very different for people. It's so different. And I think that's like, um, this has been a big learning for me in the last couple of years that it's really, um, it's really unique because it's easy to like, look at a situation and be like, oh my God, that person must be so traumatized from that Mm -hmm. or, um, to kind of make, it's almost like a judgment. Right. And there's a real softening that can happen when we can just bring some curiosity into it and be like, yeah, there might be, and there might not like we have to really just check in with this person and and see how it plays out for them is there any 
I don't know if evidence or studies are the right words, but is there any maybe backings to if if somebody's telling us a story, say about a car accident and they found it that it wasn't even maybe at that moment they didn't feel like they were very traumatized, they were able to process. But then say you or I come in and have a conversation with them about what they experienced and we say oh, that sounds very traumatizing. Like, how are you doing? Is there a shift in the body where they might go from thinking that it was fine and that they processed to all of a sudden feeling like they were traumatized because of other people's external input? So you're saying if they, um, and are, are you saying that they kind of have an awakening? Like, oh, right, there's a lot of work I could do here. There's a lot of healing still to be had. Or that it turns into a shame response for them? Maybe a shame response. Like, I know that I've experienced some some things in my past that I didn't feel were very, or I don't think that I felt very traumatized by them. But then in conversation with other people, they were saying like, oh, how did you get through that? Or how are you still alive? Or how are you mentally okay? Or that must be super traumatizing. And then I know for myself, I kind of started digging and being like, should I feel traumatized? Should I not be okay with this? Like it really kind of played on my mind, whether I was reacting in the quote unquote right way. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that's kind of a loaded question. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't know if you were having those conversations with friends or practitioners, but those are like, it's not a very skillful, those, we, you didn't get very skillful comments from them. It definitely was not practitioners either or professionals. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that's like, we make blunders in our friendships, right? Because we're not like all trained in how to speak to each other. And so, um, I think there was like some underlying like shaming going on there that they may, that they probably didn't mean to drop on you, but kind of got dropped on you. And so that's like in, in that relationship. But I think what's the, the, the truth of what lives in our body is what lives in our body. And hopefully we help each other like unravel and unpack that and not compound it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does. I kind of hear that a lot in society nowadays where there's the should you have, or you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And there's from what I've noticed anyways, there's kind of a discrepancy between people who are saying, I should do this. I should do this. I should do that versus people saying, stop shooting yourself. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if, I mean, I would assume, which maybe is not correct, but I would assume that that would have an impact on our own selves if we're constantly shooting ourselves. But I wasn't sure if it made a difference if we should it on other people, which sounds. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like that's, I think if someone feels like if you're feeling you experience something and you feel resourced and you feel like you moved through it, like in a way that you're still on your two feet and you have agency and you're doing your life, like, great. We should be supporting that. Mm-hmm. We should not be, that's what we do in this somatic work is we emphasize people's resources. This is wonderful. This is like a huge success on your part that you are like, here not feeling like it it like had that much impact like fabulous great like celebrate you know like how wonderful one less thing off your to-do list that's how I would hold it and if the day comes when you're noticing like symptoms of like oh procrastination or oh this you know relate like like patterns of relationship issues or you know whatever it might be that then there might be signals of like something that needs to be updated and it still might not be that thing does that make sense like if we have wins in our life 
we need to own the wins. This is freaking amazing. And again, I think partly to blame is society that tells us, you know, you're, you're too busy in the hustle culture and you need to go, go, go and continue to accomplish things that you don't have time to celebrate the maybe big accomplishment that you've already done. Yeah, totally. And I think the other, I'm going to say conflict that I just noticed in talking about this with you is when other people respond to somebody talking about, say, the car accident that happened and the the person explaining the situation of the car accident might not have been affected or they processed effect- effectively or didn't feel traumatized. But the conflict that I see, other people are saying, oh, how are you surviving that? How are you still okay? Aren't you traumatized? I find that kind of a conflict to what society tells us in that society says, don't talk about the things. Like, you're fine, just mask it. Whereas other people maybe having that same dialogue from society saying to mask it are getting or trying to get people to talk about it in a way that might further traumatize them. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it sounds like um, people, yeah, like, you know, I think there's different seasons we go through in our life, right? Different stages. And when we're deep in our own trauma work, we can look around and see all this trauma that other people are experiencing. And then we want to go in and say like, oh, what's going on with you about that? And when we're more seasoned and, or that we're in a different season, maybe a little bit of like um, a more seasoned season, right? Like we've moved on in our healing. We can let things be a little bit like, like let it, let it, we, we need to let it be. If someone, and, and believe what people are saying, if they're saying they had the car accident and it's not that big of a deal for them, like we can let that be great. Unless there's some overt symptoms, like sometimes there might be overt symptoms, like the person won't wear their seatbelt. And then it's like, oh, why aren't you wearing your seatbelt? Isn't it because, is that because of the car accident? You know, then there might be the moment to be like, I think there's some stuff you need to work on here. You won't never wear your seatbelt anymore. Hmm. But otherwise, you know, I think there's a thing about believing people. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Things be a little bit. And so... All of this to say, Erica, how, how are some ways that we can change this con- conversation for people that aren't professionals like you or in the field like I am? So how can we, how can we help them to, I didn't quite understand the question. So for those of us like you or I that are in the, the field of supporting those through trauma work or kind of more that counseling side, what are ways that we can support others who might not have the knowledge or experience that we do to be able to kind of teach them to just let things be and continue that conversation? Mm. Well, you know, there's this like... <clears throat> wonderful phrase um that is that I learned early on in my healing um journey I've been on a long long healing journey myself and it was in my early days that um was I mean this is a very common phrase but a therapist told me at the same at at the time and that's like notice what's your business what's the other person's business and what's God's business and get clear on what's in your realm right to to meddle with and to what you have control over and and what's in the other person's realm and what's in the realm of the universal powers and when we use that framework we can start to see where boundaries are and where we want to put our attention does that make sense totally and what what are some ways that we can maybe implement boundaries for those that maybe aren't great at that to say hey I don't actually want to talk about this or hey you're not kind of delving into these topics with me yeah so it's so interesting because we're kind of coming full circle here because a lot of that is the fawn response right of having a conversation 
you know, going somewhere you might not want to go in conversation or letting people say things to you, you might want, not want to let them say that's a, that's the fawn and appease. And so bringing in the boundary is so great. That is like the containment of that response. And so I think exactly what you just said, like, Hey, I don't feel like talking about this right now. And it's a sensing in of our body. And there's often like when we're in fawn or appease, there might be this like constriction through the chest of just like, Oh, like I, I don't want to be here. And so we use our awareness to sense into our body. And then it's a lot of courage, right. To say, I don't really want to talk about this with you right now. Can we talk about the concert we're going to see this weekend or whatever it is that you want to talk about? Or to also, the other thing is just to, to limit time with certain people as much as we love them. Maybe this friend I can only see every two weeks. Right. So mm -hmm. ways that it can be contained. So choosing to, to um, saying, let's talk about something else, choosing how much time you spend with them or potentially not taking a little break from them for a while. And maybe having a plan before you see them of what you, what conversations you want to bring forward. Or, or not bring forward. Or not, or <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe this is a person that you never talk about your trauma with, right? This is a place where you, where you like live in, you practice <clears throat> being in the counter. We call it the counter vortex. You practice being in the talking about the book you're reading, um, or the movie you saw, or, and this might be new for some of us because we can get really used to talking about our trauma all the time if we're in that season to do so. But it's a great exercise to lean away from it and to talk about kind of some low-key pleasant things. I know definitely that I struggle with setting boundaries for certain people. So I think that advice is, for me, going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for others. Mm -hmm. It can feel when we have like our main connection with certain people is like healing trauma or in kind of like that, if we're in really that deep in that season of our lives, it can feel really uncomfortable to talk about the mundane things, but it's a great exercise for your nervous system to do that, to lean away. This is actually, that's actually at the root of the work is to have the capacity to lean away and then lean back in. And so the more often I'm guessing that we do do that, the easier it will become, but then the more that our nervous system will thank us. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely, it's a muscle. It's a muscle to exercise and it's a really great it's yeah, your nervous system will think you'll, you'll experience more regulation. It's a really wonderful thing to take on. I will add that to my list. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's such a good one. And I know Erica, several conversation pieces ago, we talked about the feeling good in our body, feeling at ease. What does that look like? How do we get there? Do we, do we get there for some of us? I think we do get there. I, I actually, I believe everyone can get there. And I think it's a road and I think it might take a while. And I don't know if we get there, like we're always there a hundred percent, but I do think we can release more and more cycles of this stuff and feel more and more ease. And so how, and what are some steps to start going about that? Yeah. So of course, like working with someone, like I think when we're, you know, when we've had a lot of um, trauma how, and however it's come, I think having a therapist or a somatic coach or someone to be, to do it with you is just like so important because it's the co-regulation piece of actually being connected with someone who and is when, regulated and has done the work. So that's, I feel mm -hmm. like I just want to say that. What were you going to say? And when, when we're doing it with somebody, is it, ideally better to do it with somebody that kind of is a professional or at least in the field and understands rather than just say your sister or your parent or your grandma. A hundred percent. I mean, that's great too. Like with people around us who are um, compassionate and have empathy, like wonderful, like great, you know, 
you know, take advantage of those resources. But if you can find someone who's really good, who's trained, it's just going to move you along so much more quickly. And then, you know, as far as like doing it on your own, yeah, like compassionate, empathetic people, wise people in your sphere, connecting with them and, and body centered um, practices like dancing, yoga, even just some moments like in your kitchen, maybe there's some music you like, a little dance session in your kitchen, or um, one I really like, we could just do it right now, just like simply moving your arms around in the way that feels good to your arms. And, you know, for 30 seconds or so, and then letting your arms fall down and then just noticing what's different. Sensing into your body. The ways, if we want our bodies to feel good, we have to remember that we have a body and pay attention to our body, sense into our body, and then use some intentionality in how we move our body and then sense into our body again. And it sounds like we almost need some some degree of self-awareness to to be able to know, hey, that does feel good with the body and hey, that doesn't feel so great. Totally. Yeah. It's all self-awareness. I mean, self-awareness is such a huge part of healing. If, yeah. If somebody isn't maybe super self-aware, is there any ways that they could get to that point? You know, I think like anything you can notice is a huge win. So if you can just notice that you like can I'm sitting on a bolster right now so I can notice that I'm feeling like my sits bones and my butt on the bolster so anything you can notice right I can feel my hands on my legs so if you can just notice one thing a lot of people who have experienced a lot of trauma don't have awareness of their of their bodies and and that as you've been talking about what society says that's also uh, reinforced by society right that's all about with the cognitive Mm -hmm. and the intellectual. So anything that you can notice, like, do I notice my, can wiggle my fingers and do I notice my fingers wiggling? Can I notice that I'm smiling right now? Right. So just these feel really small. And when you've, when you got a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff in your heart to stuff in your system, these can feel like, like what the F, right? Like this feels so, small in comparison to what I'm negotiating. And yet these are important, important awarenesses to bring in and to help reconnect you with your, with your primal body. Is there ever, this might be a loaded question again, I apologize in advance. Is there ever a time where somebody can fully have their nervous system regulation back to kind of the norm before trauma or will that always kind of be work in progress? Like they'll never be back to the nervous system prior to the trauma. That's a good question. So I think we, I think there's always another layer to do. And I'm not sure if they're even like, I'm not sure if there even is, it's a very complicated question, right? Because we come into the world with trauma, right? Like birth is a really intense experience and some people come right in with birth trauma. So, um, you know, kind of like what is like our basic operating system, like what is like fresh out of the factory. Mm -hmm. Mm, Like, I'm not sure if there is that standard, but I think that we can heal absolutely to the point that we feel like, like everyday um, mishaps and everyday stressors are like annoying, but don't throw us off track that big things can happen and we can grieve and feel triggered for a short time. And then we fall back into regulation. 
So I think a hundred percent, absolutely, we can heal to the point and then keep healing from there that we can metabolize our life's experiences and that, yeah, there's some ups and downs and um, things that are uncomfortable and then we can feel them, experience them, check in with a friend, you know, to get some, some support, talk to an elder, and then we like slip back into a regulated state. So, you know, the goal is not to become like, like we're at peace a hundred percent of the time. The goal is that when something happens, we can feel it, experience it. It's uncomfortable. We grieve what we feel angry, whatever needs to happen. And then we, we metabolize it. We move on and we're, we get to have a nice dinner with our family, you know, or, you know, whatever it might be, we might still be in it for dinner, but do you, do you get what I'm saying? That we can kind of mm-hmm. fall back into a regulated state. And I absolutely believe, I believe everyone that is possible for everyone. And some of us need, you know, I had many coaches and therapists. Some of us need a lot of uh, support from practitioners to get there. And, how does the conversation of playing big or playing the authentic you play into all of this? Yeah, I love that question because um, when we've experienced trauma, often we really diminish ourselves. And so, and there's often so much talent and dreams and juicy, amazing stuff in this um, person, right? In you, in me, in so many of us. And it gets diminished because of, uh, because we don't have the capacity to take the action or speak our truth. And there's so much fear, right? And that's back to the fawning, right? The fear and appeasement and afraid people won't like us or what will they say and all this stuff. So, um, it's like an unwrapping so that we can come forward and, and be shine our true light and be our true selves in the world and share our gifts and do the things we were meant to do. And on the other side of that, there's also some of us that are, have responded to trauma with getting into so much hustle, can't stop working, maybe having a lot of outer success, but can't rest, can't slow down to join it to enjoy it. And that can also be a version of playing bigger authentically. Like maybe this person actually doesn't want to be working 60 hours a week anymore and wants to be having more family time. And so that's what playing bigger means for that person. I fall in the first camp myself of like uh, having to really have made myself really small for most of my life and having to like come out and physically, you know, be in the more traditional sense of playing bigger but it can look the other way for a certain camp of people too. And so what I'm gathering, Erica, is that we essentially have to become or come into maybe our self-awareness to be able to identify where we're playing small or where we're playing different parts that we don't want to be into becoming the authentic self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to use our awareness. And what's so tricky about our nervous system is that it's such a subconscious thing. So these, these, this is what's like really radical and revolutionary for me about nervous system work is that patterns that feel so incredibly normal because we adapted to do it to survive might not be serving us in our present day, right? The not speaking our truth and we have to, or the not making the phone call, not sending the email, not asking for the raise, not looking for the next career, not applying to grad school, you know, whatever it is, um, it can feel so incredibly normal. So it's a, it can be, it, it just can be really like radically revolutionary for someone to realize like, oh, wow, there is a whole like freeze response happening in me that's not letting me move forward in my, in my day to day. I think if I can give an example of this, I, mm-hmm. and my hope is not to nef- necessarily boast or 
kind of toot my own horn for lack of a better word, but when I was contemplating the idea of this podcast and thinking, you know, I could have so many guests, they could be just like you, they could be practitioners or coaches or therapists or people with lived experience or whatever the case is. I was 1000% playing small because I knew I could do it. Anybody can do it, but it's kind of the fun response of, well, what are people going to say? Are people going to listen? Are people going to like it? All of that. And so one day I woke up and I was just like, you know, maybe this isn't for everybody, but the ones that it is for will understand that. And so I just kind of said, fuck it and let's do it. And so that's a wholehearted example of kind of living into the authentic self and minimizing the fond response. It's so great. And so like, you know, the like we all we all can kind of shy away from the boasting or however you want to say it, but we need to celebrate our wins. That is so awesome that you just, you know, despite the the voices and the other forces there that you just went for it. And now here I am almost, well, I think it's about a year and a half later. And wow, it's so fabulous. And thanks to you, because you have helped this conversation and you've helped me continue to, to, to achieve that goal and that dream. If I didn't have guests, it would be totally different, right? So thank you for allowing that to happen, whether you consciously knew it or not. You definitely played a part. <laughs> oh, Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. And I'm just like, this conversation is so rich and juicy. It's so wonderful to get into all this stuff. I just have so many burning questions in my head that I'm like, the only people that can really answer these are people in the field that do the work and understand it. And oftentimes have the lived experience to say, this was my experience, but this is how we do it in practice. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any words, further words, I guess, of wisdom or encouragement or support for anybody that's struggling with this of, you know, having the trauma stored in their body or having the the big fun response in their mind or just overall wanting to become the authentic self and kind of get out of that bubble? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I think one, you know, if you haven't worked with a practitioner before, this is such, such a gift to give yourself, right? To call someone into your life who's regulated, who's kind, who's skilled, who's compassionate. There, There's just like no way I could have, I could be where I am now without having people like that in my life. So that's one. Um, and I also just encourage you to be discerning, right? Around who you choose because... Um, there's like a whole array of people out there. So, you know, like use your intuition to find someone who's really good. Um, And then I think at this point in my journey, it's really like, you know, be kind to yourself. We are so, we hold so many critical voices and if we can ease those, Right. What we're wanting to do is create a an environment of safety around us, both internally and externally. And when we start to create it a little bit internally, mm-hmm. that starts to ripple out and show up into our external. So being so kind to yourself and noticing when you're not, because we all have these really mean voices. So that's something we can start to do right away. And then last, you know, don't forget your body. Your body's such an incredible ally for you. It's, we think we are mind, but we're, we're the whole thing. We're heart, body, and mind, soul. We're all of it. And, um, you know, wiggle your finger, fingers, jump around a little bit, put your hands under cold water, like have some, some sensory experiences to remember that you're in your body and, and continue to do that and to do more and more of it. I think those are all very incredible words of support and encouragement, but I think they're also realistic, which is really nice. 
I tried to keep it in the realistic. <laughs> yes, because that's what we want, right? We want something like practical and tangible that we can like walk out of a room and say, okay, this is, you know, we always want to do the big thing. Oh, the like, we're going to change everything. But really, the what changes everything is the small little things, the very small things that we can actually have the capacity to do. That's so true. It's so true. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Erica, is there any social media platforms or websites or anywhere that both myself and listeners can continue to get insight from you? Yeah, my main one at the moment is Instagram that I'm on, which is um, pretty simple handle. It's at Erica Venegas underscore. Um, I have a Facebook group that is coming soon um, called the Shine Bright Circle. It's actually there, but I'm going to, it's getting re-envisioned for lots of tips and tricks and somatic ways that we can, um, work with ourselves and stressful things that happens in our life so that we can play bigger. So that is, um, in the process of being re-envisioned, but Instagram is like the main way right now. Is that Facebook group free? Or will be free? It is. Yes, it's free. Amazing. It's free. And you're. It's, it's there now. It used to have like a, a little bit of a different life. So people could join now and then be there for when it gets um, re-envisioned. But it, it um, or it's being re-envisioned, but it hasn't been relaunched. I should say it that way. Okay. Well, I might join that group. That sounds. That would be great. Sounds incredible. That would be great. And it would, sounds like it would further continue our conversation that we've had today. Absolutely. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. to thank you for being a guest and sharing all of your wisdom and insight and just for being here and doing the work that you do. I know given kind of today's day and age, we, we definitely need all of the practitioners and coaches and knowledgeable professionals to be able to kind of maneuver and navigate through life lately, especially with all of the hardships across the world and everything that's kind of going on so I just Absolutely. really appreciate you guesting and just really appreciate you as a human oh thank you so much I've just loved having this conversation and just if you're I, I just want to invite your guests and listeners if they do come you know follow me to dm me and say hi I love to talk and you know connect with people in my community and so yeah I want to in, you know invite that in from everyone. And so thank you so much for having me. It's been so wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you. And I hope that we can stay connected, Erica, and I will definitely join that Facebook group. So I look forward to seeing other listeners in there as well, but oh, wonderful. until, until it's relaunched, we will kind of have that countdown going on in our mind, but no pressure. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm excited for that too. And to you, Erica, and to the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.